Welcome to Central Assembly of God's podcast. We pray this message speaks to you. The beginning of this week, I thought I was going to talk about breakthrough prayer, a specific approach to prayer that you continue to press through until you see breakthrough. Now, I thought I was going to talk about the importance of prayer, but by the end of this week, I want to talk about how you can simply pray with confidence. There's actually a, a pastor locally that wrote a book on it. Uh, this message is not based on that book. I think one day we will introduce it uh, as a, a, a series of messages that can help us as a church. But we've talked about before the importance of prayer, the necessity of prayer. And I do, I just want to reiterate it once again. God, God has absolutely supernatural fruit for, for each one of us, right? He has like an absolutely exciting, great life planned out for each one of us. Not void of problems, not void of struggles. But the God of all creation chose for you to be born. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Like he was perfectly fine before we were ever here, but he still chose you so that you're not a waste of time. You're not a waste of a life, all right? So if he, if he actually chose for you to be born, then he has a divine purpose for your life. Okay, so we have to just agree on that. No matter how good or bad you feel about yourself right now, you at least have to agree that the maker of all creation has placed a destiny over your life. Um, But the Lord has been reminding me in this season the necessity of prayer to see that will of God come to pass. So we can say sometimes, well, I thought this was going to happen in my life. When I was a child, everybody spoke this over me, and it was going to be here, and now it's only here. What happened? Where did God, God didn't come through. He didn't answer my prayer, this or that. I want you to know, God's in the same place that he was when he spoke that over you as he is right now. He didn't go anywhere. It is a requirement of our lives to get into his presence and pray to the one who has the destiny over you to actually see it come to pass. It is a fearful thing for me to know that I could stand at the end of my life, 80, 90 years old, and look back and say, I blew it. I blew it. All these things that I've written in my journal, all these things that have been spoken by by God to me, and I blew it. I don't want one of us to be able to say that. And I'm not talking about legalism or works, but I am saying it is hingent on our willingness to go into the prayer closet and speak to our Father. You can have all of the destiny, all of the favor, all of the blessing hanging over your life, and God wants to give it to you, and yet you don't come to him to receive it, so he can't. He's not mad at you. If he feels far away from you, he hasn't moved anywhere. And I'm telling you, the moment you come right back into his presence, he's not going to give you a whooping before he gets back to you and with you. Do you understand that? He's not waiting to give you a good old whooping. When you come back, I've just been far and I want to be close again, Lord. That's it. But it's something called prayer that is absolutely required to happen. In Luke chapter 11, I'm going to go through a lot, several different scriptures today, so it'd probably be pointless to try to follow me. There's, there's notepads in front of you in the, in the um, pew holder if you want to write some of these down. But in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, on or one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. 
I mean, if you even look at our Savior, he took time. Like, he was God. He, re- he didn't, like, have to pray. He submitted himself to walk in flesh. So then because of that, he was completely dependent on the Father. So he went one day, and he was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I started thinking about this. These are the guys who hung out with Jesus, right? They spent a lot of time with him over three and a half years. And this wasn't just at the beginning. This is in Luke chapter 11. This is not at the beginning of his ministry where they're just introduced to him. So even the guys, like, so this is what I want to say. If you're not confident or comfortable of how to pray, how to seek the Lord, how to ask, how to listen, just relax and say, it's okay. The guys who hung out with him day in and day out still had to ask him to teach them. Does that make sense to you guys? They were as close as you could be to Jesus. They were the closest men that walked with him his entire life. And they still said, hey, God, or Jesus, we don't get this. Please teach us like, how to pray. How do we do this? See, they would have learned going through in school through Old Testament approach. But I think they saw something different in Jesus. They knew he was approaching prayer differently than just going through the religious activity and duty of praying. So the question was to him, Lord, teach us to pray. So we have to ask ourselves, what's your definition of prayer? Just think about that for a minute. What is your definition of prayer? I looked up several definitions. Here goes some of them. A solemn request for help. An expression of thanks addressed to God. An earnest hope or wish. One gave a whole list, doxology, praise, thanksgiving, confession, supplication, and intercession to God. I probably lost some of you at doxology, right? (laughs) What? Supplication, intercession. I'm not an intercessor. I'm not a supplicator. I can't do this. I like this. A transparent conversation with God. Quite simple, isn't it? The practice of the presence of God of God. And everybody can go, oh, regardless if you're supplicating yet or doxologizing, you're having a transparent conversation with God. Do you see how these words can put a huge hurdle up in your life? And you see, if prayer's all this stuff and I hear about intercessors spending hours a day, I could never do that. So then you never actually step over the hurdle of saying, good morning, Father. We, we, we create these false spiritual religious hurdles because we think prayer is something that it's not. And we don't just have a transparent conversation with God. I like this description. It says, prayer is not some mystical process where we call out to some force, nor is it a kind of power with which we try to speak things into existence, ordering God around like some bellhop who art in heaven. Prayer is communication with and hearing from God. True prayer is what happens when Our will and the will of God align, and we pray accordingly. Prayer is our connection to heaven and heaven's connection to us. That's why you should always keep the lines open. I love that description. It's our connection to heaven and heaven's connection to us. It's not just our connection to heaven. Do you hear that? It's heaven's connection back to us. He wants to be connected with us, but it's on our end of how much he could be connected with us. The shortage is never on God's side. So I want to talk for a few minutes about what prayer is not, and then we'll get into what prayer is. Prayer is not the way you posture your, your, your body. 
Some of us were taught as children. Some of us antsy little folks were taught as children. Bow your head, close your eyes, fold your hands. This is not any more spiritual than praying like this. Do you ever see that too? Like if you, some of you really, you have like a a religious mindset about this. If we're praying and people are like looking forward, like he's not praying. Why? Because his eyes aren't closed? Where is that in scripture? You know where that is? It's parents who don't want their kids going like this, playing with things as they're praying. That's all it is. Some of us adults who are still fidgety should still do this while we're praying. I can't pray with my eyes open often because I start looking around and I think about other things, Right? Like literally, this might make some of you nervous about me. I have beats going on in my head all of the time. Like I love drum beats. So I'll be praying in the morning and I'll start going like this. And I'll like, and then I'll start thinking about, oh, that's a pretty cool beat. And I'm like, <laughs> I start this with my hands. I'm telling you the truth. So I have to like re-engage. So prayer is not the way you posture your body. You don't have to bow your head, close your eyes, fold your hands. But if you are uh, distracted when you pray, then please bow your head, close your eyes and fold your hands. Okay? You don't have to kneel, but some people do kneel because they're being in the presence of God. Like it's an, it's an intentional act of submission to the Lord, so they kneel. But you don't have to kneel. You'll see some people lay down. It's complete surrender and desperation for God, but you don't have to lay down. You'll see people say, raise your hands, let's pray to God. You don't have to raise your hands, but it's like you're, 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 it's a perception of I'm surrendering to you and I'm ready to receive to you. So when you see people doing these things, if their heart is in it right, they're doing it with with full purpose of honoring and admiring the king in which they stand. But prayer is not the posture of your body. So we have to get past that religious mindset. You have to do a certain thing to be praying. I remember hearing from another pastor of a church in the South Hills he said that he did, he, and this man knows the word, man of prayer. And he, he would read and then he would exercise. He would run a few miles in the morning and he said that was when his prayer time was. And I was offended when I heard that. I know you have to be like sitting still and like paying attention and this and that. No, his entire prayer life was while he exercised and ran. Pastor Todd, when he used to drive down to Pittsburgh every week uh, uh, when he was a cook at Children's Hospital, his prayer time and worship time was in the car. He wasn't wasting that time. Break off the mindset of what it has to look like. Second thing that it's not, it's not saying the right words. Each one of you have a different vocabulary, a different level of knowledge of biblical words. Using words like sanctification, redemption, glorification, and atonement is not going to impress God. Now, if you know those words and you know what they mean, go after it, please. But don't look at words and be like, God, I just pray justification over my life and re- cover me with redemption. You have no clue. <laughs> I don't know what, what child we were, pre- we were teaching to pray. I, don't, I think it was Isabella. And one night we asked her to pray and she said, Lord, G- or God, help. But do you know that works with adults too? God, I don't understand what any of this means. I need help. Why would God not listen to that? You're trying to say all the right words. Help. I believe in you. I don't know what else to say right now. You, you have anything to say? Right? We don't have to complicate this. It's not how you say your words. This church is filled with people. Some are, are very quiet, and they come with a solemn approach toward God. And they say, I'm coming before my king, my creator. 
So I'm going to come humbly, and I'm going to ask you, Heavenly Father, I thank you, I beseech you, right? And they might come very humbly. And some of you come very loud and demonstrative before the Lord. Being quiet with your body does not exhibit humility if it's not in your heart. And being loud and aggressive does not prove that you have more faith than anybody else if it's not in your heart. So I'm not judging either of those. I'm saying if you're quiet and humble and you want to come quietly, come quietly. But when you're in a prayer meeting, at least pray out loud, whisper it, do something to participate. If you are loud and demonstrative and you're extremely passionate, just make sure your faith is connected with your emotion. Okay? So it's not how you say your words. And it's not the method in which you hear from the Lord. There are great resources out there on hearing the voice of God, perceiving his voice. Some of you might ask a question to the Lord and like sit there for 30 minutes, just in pure silence. And somebody's like, I can't do that for 30 seconds. But some of you hear that way. Some of you might ask a question and very quickly believe that you're perceiving what God's saying and then move on. Some of you write in journals, right? You ask the Lord questions or you're reading God's word and then you're writing. I know some of you doodle a lot. Like you might just sit down with a pad and just draw a picture. That doesn't mean you're daydreaming. That's just how you receive from God. So it's not the method in which you hear from the Lord. So today, it's a very simple message. It's almost, it's just more of a teaching that answers this question. Lord, teach us to pray. I want every single person in here to be confident praying to the Father. Because if we don't get past the hurdle and we don't pray to the Father, then God is not going to move as he can in this church and as he wants to. So how can we pray with confidence? First thing I said, it's not the posture of your body. What is it? It's the posture of your heart. In John chapter 11, after Lazarus had died, he was in the tomb for four days. Jesus comes. They took the stone away because he asked it. And it says, then Jesus looked up and said to the Father, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. So there's a physical looking up, but then there's a speaking and a focus right to Jesus. In John chapter 17, it says, after saying this, and this is when Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So he's saying this, listen, folks, you're going to face problems. Everything's not going to be perfect. Becoming a Christian doesn't like alienate you from all the challenges of the world, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Now, he didn't want them to walk around with that as just a principle that they remembered five years back. It was never meant to that because what did he do? Immediately after saying he's overcome the world, he goes into a posture of prayer. So he says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. So we see this. In the natural, Jesus was looking up. It was quite clear that he was intentional about posturing his heart, his affections, and his focus toward the Father. This is where we have to catch this. Our po- the posture of our heart simply has to lean toward heaven. Okay? Well, so what we're doing is this. We're putting attention to when we pray. We're actually saying, for this moment in time, I'm going to posture my heart toward heaven. I'm going to give him the focus, just as if you would give your focus to somebody else you were talking to. Now, who can admit it like me, that you've been in a conversation with somebody, and you're speaking words to them, and you're hearing words back, but you're not engaged at all? right? So you can actually be in conversation and you're like thinking, oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. And then they ask a question and you're like, ah, I wasn't listening. Or you can just like talk and talk and talk and actually have no clue what you're actually saying. Do you know people can waste a lot of time in prayer just like that? So it's a turning. It's saying, God, 
Help me to turn my affections towards you. It's not even a statement. Until you know how to do it, don't even make it. I'm declaring that I'm turning my affections. No, God, help me to turn my affections towards you right now. Help me to turn my attention to you, my focus on you, so that now when you're talking to him, you're actually engaged with heaven. You're in a full-blown conversation with heaven. In Psalm 121, the psalmist says in verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? I want to guarantee you, when this person was making his way to Jerusalem, he's not walking this way and saying, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. He's not talking about his physical eye here. He's talking about the posture of his heart. I lift up my eyes, right? I'm lifting up the eyes of my heart to the heavenly Father in whom I am praying. I've said this several times before. The Lord taught me. We were in Atlanta uh, a few years ago, and it was rainy, and it was gloomy, and we took off in the plane to go the rest of the way to Florida. As soon as we broke through those clouds, it was sunny. And the Lord said, the sun is always shining above the clouds. And he taught me that, like, no matter how gloomy it might feel in your life, no matter how many problems, above the clouds. If we can get our mind above the clouds, if we can get our heart above the clouds where we're already seated in heavenly places, the sun is shining. You know, the sun never forgets to come out, and God never forgets to be with you. But we have to get, like, our heart, just get it above the clouds. Just get, posture your heart in heaven. And all it is is paying attention to what you're saying and then what he is saying. So what's the question that this guy asks, this psalmist asks? I lift my eyes up. Where does my help come from? Do you notice how he doesn't say, where do my problems come from, God? How big are my problems, oh God? Father, I bring you all of my junk. No, he says, where does my help come from? It's a rhetorical question that he already knows the answer to because in verse two, he says, my help comes from the Lord. This is how you put your attention to God. If you have no prayer life whatsoever right now, you can use Psalm 121, and you can come and you say, God, I lift up the eyes of my heart to you. Where does my help come from? Father, I believe it comes from you. And already your mind is off your problems. Do you see the, there's a huge difference between saying, I'm bringing all my junk to you, God, or Heavenly Father, I'm coming to you where all of my help comes from. Now your focus is on the help. Your focus is on the solution, not the problems, Okay. So picture you have a bunch of baggage every day that you're concerned about and is on your shoulders. At any moment of any day, you can bring these things, you can sli uh, slide them onto the ground, take your eyes off that, put your eyes on the cross and say, Heavenly Father, I lift my eyes to you now. Where does my help come from? You're already taking your eyes off the problems. If you keep your eyes above the clouds, on the cross, on your Heavenly Father, you don't have time to think about your problems anymore. So now you're actually praying a solution-minded, Jesus-focused prayer not, I messed up and I'm a dirty sinner and I have all these problems. It's a focus that you have. And I love how he even says it. My help comes from the Lord. He's reminding himself, the maker of heaven and earth. So I could say, God, if you have figured out how to make this earth spin and not have us all go flying off, if you figured the gravity thing out, then I'm sure you can figure out my problem. So just think about the most important meeting you've ever had and how much attention you gave to that. Give that attention to the Lord and your prayer life will increase dramatically. You'll actually want to go to prayer because it'll be fulfilling. The second, the second point that I said, it's not about saying the right words. It's about saying the words right. What do I mean by saying the words right? 
You want to use words that are according to God's will. And we're going to talk about that. Because you can pray and pray and pray and pray, but if it's not God's will for it, it's not going to come to pass. In 1 John 5, 14, it says, this is 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. I'm, I'm just venturing to say that there are a lot of people in this room who don't feel like they can confidently approach God. I don't know if it's you're worn down by sin or by guilt or shame, or if it's just you don't have, you don't have confidence how to approach God. So it says, this is the confidence of how uh, of we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So you have to be able to stop in scripture and say, wait a minute. The opposite of that is, is if we ask anything that is not according to his will, he doesn't hear us. Now, God's not sitting there going, nah, 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 nah. He's saying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, right? But he hears things that are according to his will because his word has already spoken at fort. It says, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. I look at really three aspects of these verses. I should have just preached on this verse. First of all, there should absolutely be, we can confidently enter in, confidently, no matter how bad of a day we've had or no matter how good of a day, we can confidently come before him because he's the one that tore the veil, okay? So there's a confidence that comes in approaching God. It's a boldness. Now, if you're letting mistakes or fear hinder you, you will not come with boldness. You'll come all all sheltered in. You won't come transparently before God. But if you know that he has already forgiven your sin, if you know that he is a good father, then you can come confidently. The second thing is, is that we're actually praying according to God's will. And the third thing is, is that we know we have. I actually think that's a part, we, we, we kind of mesh all these together. I'm going to talk about the last part of that in another point. See, there's a promise attached to this confidence, and it's this. If we can ask something according to his will, he hears us. That's a very good promise. So if you know that you're going to talk to somebody and they're going to listen to you, you probably have a lot more confidence coming into the conversation, right? So take a child. Think, picture if you were a child and you knew your dad wanted to take you for an ice cream cone. How do you know that? Because he said earlier in the day, I'm really in the mood for an ice cream cone tonight. So you already know it's the will of the father, okay? When it's six or seven o'clock and you've already eaten dinner, are you going to walk up and say, um, Dad, can, can, we, can, we, can we please get an ice cream cone tonight? Are you going to approach him like that? Say no. You're allowed to like interact a little bit here. No. You're going to run up and you're going to say, hey, Daddy, when are we going for an ice cream cone? Because you know it's already his will. So knowing the will of God is what gives you confidence coming into prayer. It's not just run in and be confident and say, well, what do I do now? It's actually understanding some of the will of God in your life as he reveals it to you. That gives you confidence to run up, sit on his lap and say, God, I know you want me to be healed. You come with confidence. So now you're probably asking me, well, how in the world do we know what God's will is? Let me help you. First thing is this, you know the overt will of God by reading God's word. What you see in Scripture, as you know, is God's words or is God's will. So you can look at these things, you can search through God's word, and you can say, okay, this is the will of God. I want to get this more specific. For those of you who really just aren't confident with what God's will is for your life, for life in general, let's narrow it down a little bit more. A great way to look at this is at the life of Jesus. 
If you can find it in the life of Jesus, it's in the heart of God. If you can't find it in the life of Jesus, it's not in the heart of God. Because Jesus was the exact representation of the nature of God. This will help you because if you start looking at the Old Testament, you're like, wait a minute, God gave somebody a disease. Is that, is that God's will for my life? Whoa, God just opened up the earth and people just get swallowed by it. Like, is this God's will? Is it going to just open up? And you'll start getting an unbiblical view of God. We'll get there someday. You have to understand in the Old Testament, God was required by the covenant that he was with in people to actually pour out punishment upon them because they failed their side of the covenant. In the New Testament, we're in covenant because of what Jesus did with God. So we're not, we're not, when we fail, we don't fail our part. Jesus is still holding us in the covenant with God. So you have to come to a recognition of this is that God actually did things that were not in his heart to do to his people in the old covenant. He was in covenant in relationship, but he was also their God. So he was required by the covenant to pour out wrath, punishment, curse, all that stuff. Are you, are you catching this like a little bit? So now if you look at the life of Jesus, you can say, well, I didn't see Jesus with you know, a chariot coming down the road. I never saw Jesus stick a stick in the side of it so it caused a crash. I never saw Jesus trip somebody. I never saw Jesus say, you're cursed. He said it to a tree, not a person. I never saw Jesus give somebody a disease. Are you with me? So when we see, if I just learn about the life of Jesus, I know what the will of God is. I know what the heart of God is, and now I can pray that. So I would say, look at Scripture. Look at the red word. Just study, study that, and it will actually give you confidence. Like, Lord, I can come with, I, I can come with confidence to God now because I understand that. The second thing, it's, just, it's so simple, is just ask the Lord yes or no questions. I know, there's no like, amen! Because it's like, What? It's that simple. Take three minutes today and ask him a question. Just ask him a question. God, do you want me to do this or this? And begin to, 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 he'll begin to reveal to you how he's speaking to you. Does he show it to you in his word? Does he whisper something to you? Is it a thought? Is it a sensation? Is it an unction in your spirit? But you'll actually begin to interact just as you would building a new relationship with somebody. You're building a relationship with speaking to him and receiving from him. So one of them is praying out of a perceived revelation of God's will through his word, and the other one is out of a desire to know his will. Because who you should marry, I'm sorry, young adults, it's not in here. What job you should get, what job you should take isn't in here. So this is the written word, but you also want the voice of God active in your life. In verse 15 of 1 John, it says, and we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know we have. Now, this is where we have to have a hurdle. I'm going to talk about faith next. That, that phrase we have is a present active verb. Present active verb, which means when we are praying something according to God's will, that we should actually be in a place because we've come so confidently before him that we actually believe that we already have it, even though we don't yet see it. That's what faith is. Those words are quite aggressive. There's a boldness coming forth, and God, I'm praying your will, and because I'm praying your will, I know your word already says you're hearing it, and because you're hearing it, I currently have what I ask. That will increase our faith. But pastor, what if we don't get it? What if this doesn't happen? I don't know the formula of God, and I don't think it's a formula because it's a relationship. I don't have all of the answers of why things aren't happening. The Bible's teaching us of how to happen, how to do it, how to approach him confidently. 
So your confidence might look different than someone else. But we want you to at least come forward and do that. The third point I made was it's not how you say your words, but I do believe that your words need to be filled with faith. When I say that word filled, we're going to talk about that. Your words must have faith. If you're saying something that you don't believe yourself, God's, it's not that God's like, God's like, well, you don't believe it, so I'm not going to give it to you. No, but faith activates the heart of God. God responds to faith. He does not respond just to need. Okay? So we, want, we actually want to have faith in what we're saying from our heart. You can actually turn here with me, Matthew chapter 17. I want to read a, a little bit of a portion here. When a man comes before Jesus and he tells on the disciples, they were trying to accomplish something. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, chapter 17, starting at verse 14. You might say, well, I'm not a person of great faith. I wasn't taught how to have faith, this or that. Hopefully, one phrase that he says in here will break you loose to be able to pray with confidence this morning. While you're turning there, like this, like this week, for some of us, it is like, it is a pursuit of the supernatural things of God. We want to see absolute breakthrough. For some of you, it might be a practice round. Like you're saying, I've never spent more than five minutes in prayer, but you're going to get on today. You'll sign up for a half hour and you say, this is the longest I've ever spent in prayer. We have like a 12-foot banner in there with point after point after point that you can actually pray through. So you can practice these things. You can say, God, right now, I'm going to forget the stuff that are bothering me in life, and I'm going to, I'm going to look at these words. And now after I read them a few times, a few times, you don't, just, don't just read, 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 and I'm done. Read it. Try to figure out what it's saying. There's scriptures after each one. Actually, it's in your bulletin today. It's the manifesto in bullet points. So you can look at the scriptures. Like, don't, you don't have to like always be engaged with words, 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 Right? So you stop, you look at a few scriptures. Okay, this is what I, think, what, I, what, it, what I think they mean by God's presence. All right, so Father, I do. I turn my attention to you right now. Wait, um, maybe eyes closed, but head up, one hand and one arm. Whatever you want to do. And you begin to pray with your attention to him, actually in faith, meaning you believe that because we believe, you're trusting us now. You're trusting that the leadership of this church believes that that manifesto is the will of God for this church. And then we're going to continue to press in until we see those results. So because of that, you don't even have to consider that part of it. We, you, we have proof it's in the Bible. So now you're in partnership with us saying, I believe this is God's will. And now I'm going to pray, believing it's actually going to happen. Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Now, Jesus had sent these disciples out already to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, preach the gospel is at hand. The gospel of the kingdom is at hand. They've seen results before. And he goes, you unbelieving and perverse generation. I love how like, <laughs> Jesus just cut to the chase, right? He's like, what did he just say to me? He said, how long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Man, that would hurt. That would have hurt my feelings. <laughs> Bring the boy to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. The disciples came to Jesus in private, probably because they were too embarrassed to ask in public, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Because you have so little faith, 
But if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, nothing would be impossible for you. Get, get rid of the mountain thing because you thinking about commanding a mountain and actually going to the sea, you're like, no, 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 I couldn't do that. Just remove that, that part. Nothing will be impossible for you if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. Now, I have read this verse wrong for many years, and I think a lot of us do too. Because you have so little faith, what Jesus was saying here is, you didn't see the supernatural result that is absolutely the will of God for this child because you had a deficiency in faith. This is where we get it wrong. This was not talking about quantity. This was talking about quality of faith. I've looked the word up in different, in, in different translations. The phrase little faith means to trust with a very poor quality. So he's not saying, this is why he says, he's like, listen, guys, all you need to have is good quality in your faith. In fact, you only need the size of a mustard seed. Because he says in one sentence in the English, you need little faith, you only need the size of a mustard seed, they're saying, wait, you don't even need a lot of faith. You just need a little, tiny little bit of faith. He's not saying that. He's saying, your, your quality stinks right now of your trust in me. Your quality is poor. Increase your quality, and you only need this much. Just increase your quality, right? Golfers that are here, is it the strength and the power, or is it the technique? It's the technique. It's the quality of the swing, not the quantity. That's what he's teaching them. You have to have quality to your faith, which means you actually have to just believe he's going to do it. He showed them the example of the smallest seed in all of Palestine. So I guarantee they already saw demons flee. They already saw sickness healed. So I believe that they would say, we do have faith bigger than a mustard seed. We absolutely have that already. But he already rebuked them because their quality was a low in faith. So think about that. God's not asking you to have an impossible amount of faith. He's asking for the quality, the trust that he's actually going to do what you've asked because it's according to his word. Is this like practical enough? How do I develop my faith? Well, in the Bible, one of the disciples said, Jesus, give us more faith. So if you're not seeing break, if you're coming confidently, your focus is on him. You're confident that it is his will and you're not seeing breakthrough, then I would say, I would go to him and stop praying for that for a season and say, Jesus, Give me more faith. Teach me to have more faith. Teach me how to wholly trust in you that you are going to provide what I'm asking for. See, it's not a side road. It's not a deviation. It's not a distraction. You're actually asking for him to have more faith. The last point that I said is not the method in which you hear from the Lord, but that you actually take time to hear him. Many, uh, prayer, many prayers are just talk, 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 and not time to just listen. In John chapter 7, verses, I'm sorry, John chapter 10, verses 27, Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Another translation says, my sheep hear my voice. I like what the message translation says, my sheep recognize my voice. So many of you say, well, God doesn't talk to me. He out it is the will of God for you to know God's voice. It is the will of God for every single one of his children to know his voice. 
Sharice and I do not walk around the house and say, well, child one, two, and four better know my voice, but three, you know, he's interested in other things, so he doesn't need to know it. Absolutely not. We're earthly parents. He's your father. It's his will for you to know and recognize his voice. There's no way for a shepherd or for a sheep to follow the shepherd if they don't actually hear his voice. So don't disqualify yourself. I'm not a super faith person. I'm not this person. I'm not that. There's no legal excuse in the kingdom of God for not being able to hear the voice of God. So we have to change this. This is not like a mystical puzzle where you put it together and then boom, the, the, the cloud descends and the lightning strikes and then you hear him. It's not that. I mean, it may be that in an experience and an encounter with God, but it's not that in your daily life. When you're walking someone, you get an unction like, don't go in there. And you leave, and then, you know, 10 minutes later, you find out that it was robbed. That's Jesus. That's God. That's Holy Spirit talking to you. So he, uh, just, just, just like agree, agree with me today. Just agree with me that God actually wants you to hear his voice. He wants you to hear it. Okay? I do believe that there's a time in maturity that he, he just backs off his voice just to see, like, you have enough right now to obey me. So I'm here, I'm still here. The favor's there, the protection's there. But he'll just back off the conversation for a little bit as you study his word. There's always ways to grow. But then he's back in. He wants you to know his voice. It's like this, high schoolers, college students. One day you will fall in love with somebody, okay? And if you came up to them and said, I love you. I think I want, you, I want to marry you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. You just talk, 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 talk. And I want to spend all of my days with you and we can go on vacations and we can buy a big house. Okay. And then you walk away. Will you, ever, will you ever marry that person? Will you ever become intimate with that person? No, girls, you're not going to get a ring that way. What do you have to do? You have to hang out with them long enough and just, excuse my forwardness, shut up long enough for them to talk. And then they can actually have an opportunity to say, I love you too. And they're like, okay, now we're going somewhere. So God's like, I, 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 I want to tell you I love you. You just won't stop talking. Because we approach our prayer time like we approach the rest of our life. We are so busy and going 90 miles an hour that we come into our prayer closet like that. And then we're out. Are you following me? I do this so I understand, right? Your soul keeps going as fast. Your mind keeps going super fast. That's not, that's not how we have to approach prayer. If we go in, and even if our soul's going because we've been going so long, and we just calm our mind at least, our, our soul will catch up eventually. And just, God, do you love me? And when you hear that, yes, I love you. Yes, I'm madly in love. Whatever that is, if you feel it here or here or here, you can start to trust that's the will of God. I love this illustration, and I'm going to read a passage, and we'll be done. I, I read this story. I was on a school, this is a, a father. I was on a school bus full of jabbering, yelling kids. How many of you have been on a school bus before with young kids? My son was in the back of the bus. There were 20 rows of children making noise between us. But as I listened in the back, I could make out the distinct voice of my boy. To anyone else who didn't know him, his voice would have blended into the chaos. But because I know him, I recognized his voice. The Lord later showed me, that's how you recognize my voice too. Because you know me, you recognize my voice even above life's noise. That's good. 
We have hundreds of voices speaking to us every single day from media to people to assignments to projects to deadlines, and we are still able to hear his voice because we know him. We're a sheep, we're a son, we're a daughter, we're a child of God. A very easy way to practice this, skip a meal this week. It's called fasting. Open up the Bible, New Testament, maybe something Jesus did. Read a few verses and then stop and just say, God, what do you want to show me about this? Because maybe in your prayer time, it's not like clicking yet. So just do it through his word because his word is his will. So read some scripture. Stop and just say, do you want, do you want to tell me anything about this? Write some things down. Or if you don't feel like writing, just think it. And you'll start to actually perceive. You'll start to get how is the voice of the Lord speaking to me? I want to end with this. If you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. I feel like the Lord wants to take us on a very practical but a supernatural activation of having ears to hear the voice of the Lord. What I mean by that is very practical. I'm going to read verses. I'm going to talk about it for two or three minutes. And I believe the Lord's going to actually do something supernatural for those of you who want to receive that he's going to, through these verses, actually give you ears to hear. It's, it's already his will, but it's just a reception. It's a, it's a desire to actually receive it. So, Father, even as they turn to 1 Samuel, you can look in your table of contents if you don't know where it is. Father, as, as they turn to 1 Samuel, we do just pray over these next three to five minutes that you will activate ears to hear, that we will be a church that hears the voice of the Lord, that can speak it prophetically, that can teach it, that can obey it, that can walk in confidence, that can develop our prayer time with you that will actually change our lives. Father, we pray for that activation in these next few moments. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. First Samuel chapter three, verse one, I'm not gonna go over the whole story. It just says, meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord while assisting Eli. Samuel's a future prophet, Eli, Eli's the priest. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. I want to stop right here and note two things. Samuel was 12 years old at the time, so you are not too young to hear God's voice. You are not too immature in the Lord to hear God's voice. We've said it here, and we'll say it a hundred more times. There's no junior Holy Spirit. When you say yes to Jesus, you get the full dose of him in your spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you. If you've been born again for two days, or if you're eight or nine years old, you're not too young, too immature to hear the voice of God. Second thing I want to point out, it says in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare. So in those days, even though they were rare, Samuel was still able to hear the voice of the Lord. So don't ever use an excuse, well, God says not talking. There's a famine in the land. No, don't have that. Continue to seek him and pursue him until you hear his voice. Let me read the story to you. One, light, one night, Eli, verse two, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly, the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied. What is it? He got up and he ran to Eli. Hmm. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli. Go back to bed. He probably didn't say. He's probably like, go back to sleep, boy. You know, he didn't want to be woken up. So he did. I believe that this will activate some people recognizing this. Samuel got the voice of the Lord wrong, and God didn't punish him. Samuel got the voice of the Lord wrong, and God kept calling him. Some of you are so nervous to make a decision and say, I don't know if this is the voice of God or not. I don't know if it's you, God. I don't know if it's you. 
Make the decision and find out. If you mess up, he will still speak to you and give you another chance. Taking a step forward is, worth, is a lot better, and getting it wrong is a lot better than just seeing it like, I just don't know if it's you. Because in the next verse, the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son. I'm tired. Go back to bed. Verse 7, Samuel didn't know the Lord because he had never heard a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time. It doesn't say the Lord was frustrated. He was, come on, kid. Why won't you just learn this? He called out a third time. But you know why? Because Samuel kept responding. He's like, oh, you almost got it. You almost got it. Man, you're going to listen to me. Third. You almost got it, kid. You'll get it eventually. Eli, help the kid out. It says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Okay, verse 8. So the Lord called a third time. One more time. One more, uh, once more, Samuel went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Then the mature one realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. If someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Listen, I'm sure this 12-year-old was a little bit nervous. You would be quite nervous. I'm 50, 60 years old. If you knew you messed it up three times, God gave me three chances to listen to him. I messed this up, right? Just rest in the fact now. He's, you keep trying to hear his voice, and he will keep speaking. Verse 10 says, and the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, your servant is listening. Samuel heard the Lord. He heard him, but now he said, Lord, I'm listening. And there's a big difference. Do you know that? One aspect is, I hear you, I hear you. Okay, keep talking. I hear you, I hear you. And then there's, I'm listening. When you listen, it's listening with the intent to obey. Listening with the intent to take it seriously. So then God actually communicates a very stern warning against Eli, and he spoke it to Samuel. That's not the important part. I want to take you all the way down to verse 19. This is where we'll end. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let, the Lord, let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. That is profound. At 12 years old, this kid messed up, messed up. He missed it. He missed it. But when he got it right, he was willing to listen. And then when he listened, he was willing to actually obey. And he started a life of talking and listening and talking and listening. And because he was listening as a prophet, he was speaking forth the words of God. Because he was listening, he was praying back to God, the will of God. Because he was listening, he was obeying the will of God for his life. So God had him covered. God made sure that none of the words that were coming out of his mouth fell to the ground. And if you follow Samuel's life, the prophetic words he put forth came to pass. And guess what? He didn't even have the Holy Spirit in him. We actually have that opportunity to listen to the Father, get his will, obey it, or pray it back to him if we haven't seen breakthrough, and know we're actually speaking forth the words of God. How about if you spend time in the morning, God, tell me something about my conversations I'm going to have today. You're going to talk to a man in a blue shirt about this. He's going, you, you see a rusty car or something in your mind, and you actually come and find a man in a blue shirt with a rusty car at a gas station. He asks you a question. You're like, this is it. This is it. I'm prepared for this. And you speak forth the words of God. Prayer will give you a, a, a fun life, a life of adventure.
but a life of maturity, a life of confidence. So this is what we ask. Is this week for the church that you partner with us, with what I've just taught you, with these points, but do it for your own private life as well. He has an individual will and he has a corporate will for you and for this church. Let's stand. All right. Father, I just stand in the space right now where people will read your word over these next five days. Sharice, will you come stand with me? Yeah, and we just stand prophetically with our hands held where this word will be read, where it will be declared. And Father, we once again declare the word of the Lord that marriages will see a new perspective as they read together holding hands, as they take turns. Father, we declare it. God, that there will be hope where there was hopelessness, strength where there was weaknesses. And even in the midst of problems, you will give them supernatural breakthrough as they declare together in Jesus' name. Father, we just ask and believe that you are activating and have already activated ears to hear and confidence to run up to daddy and just share what is on their heart and to be transparent and not be afraid that they miss it. God, give us confidence to just come to you in prayer. And we know, God, that we will start to see things happen that we would never see had it not been for prayer. Give us not just the importance and the discipline of it, but give us passion to come into the presence of our King, our Creator, our Maker. God, this can't be practical. We, we need it to be a supernatural yearning and stirring of our hearts. That this place would be known as a house of prayer for all nations. It starts here. It starts with us. We take responsibility over it. We receive your grace to pray back to you and to listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.